Welcome to the Real Deal Brides podcast, bringing you the real deal on all things weddings and relationships. I'm your host, Alessandra Macaluso, author of the Real Deal Bridal Bible, and this is episode five. Today we're talking with Dr. Samantha Rodman, a.k.a. Dr. Psych Mom. She's a clinical psychologist. She's originally from Brooklyn, New York, and she's now practicing in Maryland. She has a book that's out. It's called How to Talk to Your Kids About Divorce, and she has another one in the works called 52 Emails to Transform Your Marriage, coming in fall 2016. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thanks for coming on the show. You know, your book is How to Talk to Your Kids About Divorce. Obviously, the goal of this show is to talk to people trying to get married. (laughs) So, you know, there's no way to divorce-proof your marriage, but today we're going to talk about, you know, steps that you can take and um, how you can really get your marriage secure enough before you actually even walk down the aisle and then what you can do, like, once you're already married to really just keep your marriage strong. But before we get into that, Talk to me a little bit about you and how you came to be Dr. Psych Mom and um, you know what you like to write about and practice with today. Well, I became Dr. Psych Mom um, on a whim because I started a blog to publicize my private practice when I went out on my own, which was kind of instantaneously after my third child uh, started sleeping through the night. So I felt more like myself again, so I could get back and start seeing more clients. And I wanted to bring in some some new clients. And so I felt that if I would write, you know, about psychology and interesting topics, that maybe some people would want to come see me. And so Dr. Psych Mom was born, and it's turned into, a, I think, a pretty great source of psychology questions and answers and information and I have my Facebook page and everything. So it's a pretty thriving community online and mm-hmm. it's been really great. It's beyond just the marketing for my private practice now. It's its own site and that makes me happy. Yeah, I love seeing your articles because to me they're so relatable but they're also so humorous. You know, I like your tone in it because you're not uptight or stiff at all. You know, it's very much like real topics, real issues that people are writing you with, but the way that you respond back is so relatable. You know, like they always make me feel better after reading them. And then I laugh a little bit too, because you're just, you're funny. Like you're very real. Thank you. Yeah. That's what I'm going for. I'm going for not the sort of writing that you can't, um, you know, sometimes when you read about psychological topics, it can be dry and you may not relate to it. But for me, I mean, I'm a couples counselor and I work with individuals too. And it's really important to stay real and be honest and make people feel that what they're going through is normal. Because honestly, most people in today's hectic world, they are stressed out. They may not be their best selves when they're interacting with loved ones, when they're interacting in their relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of stressful times when people usually come into counseling And like having a baby or when somebody's cheated or when somebody's taken a new job, things like that. And when people are stressed out is when all of these bad patterns uh, get even worse. 
Yes. Your, the last one you had <clears throat> that I read of yours was on Huffington Post weddings and it was the Mother's Day one. It was, um, my husband says I'm not his mom, so he doesn't have to do anything for me on Mother's Day. Yes, that was a popular or unpopular guy. <laughs> People yeah. like to write in about how much that guy sucked. <laughs> totally understand. Yes, even just the last line of it made me laugh. I actually read it yesterday morning and it made me laugh because it said, um, you know, I like how you refer to yourself as the blogopist and how you say the blogopist who says or just buy yourself a girl's trip to a tropical island for Mother's Day. <laughs> And it's so true, you know, because you have a whole article full of like awesome information that's just delivered in in a really good way that people can relate to. Like you said, they're coming to you because they're obviously stressed out and in a tough spot. Yeah, I mean, I think that it is really important to be real with couples and to be real with individuals. And I mean, I was going to say in terms of your show and your topic, it would be so great if people did come in for counseling before they got married or within their first year. Yes. And, you know, some people will come in for like pre-cana. I don't do that, but people will go to like premarital counseling through the church or something like that. But that isn't necessarily supposed to focus on issues. The whole point of it is to uh, kind of, you know, it's a nice thing and you get through it and it's good, but it's not really going deep, you know? And I right. think that it would be really useful for couples to understand, you know, how their upbringing impacts, how they're going to relate in their marriage, issues they've already had. I mean, some people, you know, the wedding planning itself can be so stressful that you're starting out the wedding feeling like betrayed, that your husband allied with his parents instead of you. I mean, there's like a lot of stressors that can crop up. Yes. I always say the same thing. It's like how you interact with everybody during your wedding planning, like your spouse to be and the in-laws and your, your family, like that sets the stage so much for the rest of your marriage. And like, right. I told, I have to say, I completely agree with you because we did pre-cana, you know, we got married in a Catholic church, so we did do pre-cana. And, um, I remember sitting there thinking like, okay, this is nice, but this isn't by any means something that like we walked away with it like, oh, that was a cool experience. But like, wouldn't it be awesome if brides had a bridegrooms, you know, whoever had this core little ritual that you go through that's not necessarily religion based, but like you said, just something that gets down to those deep issues. And then you can take it with you so that you actually have it to refer back later, like once you start having kids or like once you hit your five or 10 year mark in the marriage and maybe other issues start to creep up, like you can always go back to that base you know, and dig deep on what you talked about before you even got married. Right. Yeah. And you know what? My new book is actually about that very same idea because it could be used with couples that are dating, with couples that are married, no matter how long you've been together or how recently you've started being together. And what I do is because everybody can't get to a couple's counselor, they don't have the time, the money, the resources. Some people are scared of it. I mean, even though we are very friendly, but some people are still scared of it. And so my book is 52 Emails to Transform Your Marriage, even though it could be used for any relationship. And it guides people through prompts of emails, ways that you could email each other on specific topics ranging from everything from sex to how you grew up to infidelity to how you view having kids, all of those sorts of topics that people don't really talk about in depth. And it gives you prompts for emails that you could send to each other um, on these deeper level topics. And it was email because people often don't even have an hour to sit down. And it's kind of awkward to sit down for an hour and talk about these things. I like that whole idea because sometimes things are just easier to say, you know, in writing or 
you know, just jotting it out quickly on the computer when you're not necessarily sitting there face to face. I mean, it sucks, but that's, that's the way it is. Sometimes it's really hard to look somebody in the eye and talk about these deep things, even your own spouse or, or, you yeah, know, partner, especially for millennials that primarily text and chat online, you know, it yes. is very, you know, I mean, I'll be sitting in couples counseling with people and they'll take out their phones and they'll be talking about a conversation that they had. And it wasn't an in-person conversation, you know, or I'll be talking to individuals and they'll be like, Oh, I had this really terrible conversation with my fiance here it is and they'll show it to me and it's on the phone. (laughs) So, you know, since everybody's talking on the phone anyway, I felt like it was a good way to kind of prompt people to maybe take that to a deeper level in a way that's guided so that you may not get into the same explosive fights or bring up the same exact issues in the same way, but rather look at it in a new way, maybe with a little bit of objectivity because you're following kind of prompts that are from a psychologist. That's genius. And it's also good, too, because once you're together with somebody for a long time, as you know, you start to pick up on body language. And I find that nine out of 10 times, like with with my own husband, like, it's not necessarily what he's saying, but sometimes it's the delivery, you know, like, if, if I could just like, not have a tone associated with it, and it was just in an email, like how you're describing it, you know, where I could just read it for what it is and not like put my own interpretation of like, oh, what does he mean by his tone? Or how is he saying that? You know, you can just see it for what it is. It's genius. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I'm hoping that it really works for people who continue to talk about the same topic and they don't get anywhere, Yeah. but it's not bad enough or they don't want to, or they can't head into a couple's counseling session, but they want to be able to talk about things in a new way. And also to focus on some of the positives, because a lot of my emails are talking about positive memories, positive goals for the future, talking about yourself, things that don't even have to do with a couple, but things that you kind of talk about only when you're dating and then you never talk about them again. Yeah. You know, like your goals for the future or like, who do you want to be? What kind of life do you want to have? And once you're in the middle of it, People don't really introspect about it a lot, and that's how they end up growing apart because they don't end up having those same kind of conversations that they were having when they were dating that was actually facilitating them falling in love and getting to know each other on a deep level. That makes so much sense. I feel like I would put all that in a folder, like a foundation folder or something, and just keep them there. You know, this way, like you at least have a base that you can go back to. Like you said, once you're in the thick of other things and other parts of your relationship and marriage, Even now, like, even if it's not big issue topics, like I know, and you know this too, like having small kids, you can't really talk to each other. And the other day... that's what they never talk about. Like, that's a stage of development that the parenting books don't talk about is when your child is old enough to understand what you're saying. Yeah. And then you, like, can never talk about anything adult in front of them again. (laughs) Yes. It's really, it was kind of heartbreaking for me to realize, like, that I wouldn't be able to have a conversation with my husband about anything interesting. Basically my child was an early talker and she early repeated stuff. Mine too. Mine too. Yes. Yeah. So we were done talking about anything really for, I don't know, from the time she was like one and a half. (laughs) Yeah. I actually said to Greg, my husband the other morning, we weren't even talking about anything like necessarily adult related. I was trying to tell, I think it was honestly about game of Thrones. (laughs) I was trying to tell him something about the game of Thrones episode. And I kept like, because my daughter, yeah, same thing, early talker, but she also talks nonstop. So I kept trying to start the conversation and just have a conversation with him about a mutual thing that we enjoy, this TV show. And I couldn't even get the words out because she just kept, like, talking and just, you know, being a toddler. She wasn't doing anything wrong. 
it was stopping us from even saying anything. And finally, I just said, you know what? I'll talk to you in five years. <laughs> I'll talk yeah, to you about this seriously. in five years because it's not happening. <laughs> yeah. And then if you have more, it's more years than that. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's forever. I had three kids in three and a half years. So, I mean, I don't even know when I'm going to be able to talk to him again. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. I mean, it's, it's really funny because myself, like I do love to talk and mm -hmm. I just, I spend so much time talking to my kids that even then once they go to sleep, I don't even want to talk to him anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's my job to talk to clients and then I have to talk to the kids. And then it's just like the husband just gets shafted at the end. And I never would have thought he would have asked me to talk, but he's like, oh, like, how are you? <laughs> you know? yeah. Usually like, in, you know, before children, he would never have had to ask how I was. So I was always telling him. <laughs> right, right. That, that, that's hysterical. Similar happened to us yesterday. We got both the kids napping at the same time. You know, it was Mother's Day and it was sunny out. It was beautiful here in Charlotte. And I was trying to just sit on the deck for like 20 minutes and he came outside and was just, blah, 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 you know, wanting to just, to just talk. And I was like, can we just not say anything for a little while? <laughs> you yeah, know, just don't talk. Yeah. It gets to be too much. And that's why it's so great for like, like, I actually do think that the texting all the time, I don't think it's bad for relationships. I think it's good to have some other way besides actually waiting. If you have to wait till your husband came home to talk and then you can't even talk because the kids are all over him. Right. And then by the time they go to sleep, you're exhausted. Then you would never talk. Exactly. So I mean, my husband and I, we talk on the phone when we're both at work or we talk on the phone when he's at work and I'm with the kids or we email or we IM. I mean, you have to in order to have some kind of connection. You make such a good point. And I feel like, you know, a lot of times having the uh, text and email, sometimes it, it takes on such a negative connotation. Like you're using your phone and, you know, we need to get more FaceTime and get away from the devices. And I do believe that on many levels. But I like what you're doing because you're saying, you know what, we, we have these devices, so why not use them positively? You know, just because we're texting, that doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad thing for your relationship. If you can actually figure out positive ways to use them to communicate effectively with your spouse and for your family, that's huge. And I think that even, like, let's say, you know, because this podcast and everything, this is mainly for brides and for people getting married. Not that that means that you don't have kids. You know, some people do do that before they get married. But, you know, wedding planning. So it may not necessarily be that you have kids around you, but when you're planning a wedding, you're you're very, very busy. You know, you're likely both working. You and your spouse-to-be are usually working. And wedding planning is a huge undertaking in itself. Obviously, you know, lots of moving parts and there's lots of things going on. So I think that even without kids, you can utilize the, the devices, how you're saying, for planning weddings. You know, especially with the hot button topics that we were talking about. Yeah, certainly. Because a lot of those things, like when you're talking about your in-laws, like if you want to say your mom has to back off because I'm not taking her dress shopping, you know, I mean, conversations that I've had to have when I was, when I was wedding planning, some of those get very, very heated because everybody thinks that the wedding is setting a precedent for how the families are going to interact in the future. And to some extent it is. Mm -hmm. And so therefore everything is riding really high. Like if the mother-in-law feels excluded, then she's scared. She's going to be excluded from the family for the rest of her life. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. she's trying. So she's even more like on top of you then because she thinks that this is setting her up to be, you know, neglected for the, in, for the rest of, of, the future. So I think like when these sorts of issues become very, very heated, 
that's when people could benefit from stepping back and not always having the in-person conversations and also not always having the the um the texting honestly texting can get just as heated that's why i like email even though it's you know everybody texts but i like email because you got to say everything you have to say at once and as you say the other person can't be sighing they can't be interrupting you like they can in person or with text right and they just have to listen and then they get their turn <laughs> i like that and it's it's very true because you can't you know, go back and forth feverishly texting, you know, like five word sentences and, and like you said, getting more and more heated about it. You And you actually then have the time. Like I find, you know, as a writer, you're a writer as well, you know, like just even if you're not a writer, it doesn't matter. If you are writing out an email, you're kind of forced to sit there and mull it over and think about it before you hit send. And you can do that with texting, but it's different. Like you said, you're writing a longer chunk. You're you're thinking about it more. You can edit it. You can you're going to read it from start to finish, and the other person's going to do the same when they open it. Yeah, the, and also you you don't usually send somebody an email and be like, I know you just read that right now. Why aren't you emailing <laughs> me back? Yep. Like with text, where you're like, you got my text. I know you got my text. Mm-hmm. It's true. And then as the recipient, you can read it and then wait and read it again you know you don't yeah, have you're to you're supposed to wait otherwise it's like you didn't read the whole thing so you can't just shoot something back otherwise it looks like you didn't read it yes so i mean i even think that emails are good for interacting with in-laws and with friends and all the people that you know there there are lots of emotions running high with people besides just the bride and the groom i mean there's women talking to their sisters talking to their mothers talking to their friends there's bridal party issues there's shower issues i mean there's just so so much and so much of it is so intensely emotional yes that's exactly right weddings are so emotionally charged and i feel like for so many reasons like like you started to say about you know the in-laws and bridesmaids and you know it, it's sad because it does put a lot of pressure on brides and grooms you know because then it feels like you know you're at the center of it all and you're supposed to handle all this stress and then god forbid you can't handle all this stress then you're immediately labeled a bridezilla you know and meanwhile it's not even your fault half the time it's because everyone's relying on you to find their place in your wedding, you know? So if it's like, whether it be like an in-law who just wants to know where they stand or, you know, they want to make sure that they're honored or feel included, you know, you really have to be manager of a ton of people's emotions and, you know, issues. So, right. And it's different now. It's different in that stage than in any other stage, because when you're getting married, a lot of people, they have been living together for years. They've been dating for years and years. So they really are kind of in the middle of their relationship. They're not so much in the beginning of it, But yet, if they were to say that they needed help or that they weren't getting along or that they even wanted to go to couples counseling, everybody would be so down on it and say, oh, my God, you're not even married yet and you're already having problems. But yet, it's such a big stressor for people that are in the middle. Basically, a lot of times they're years into their relationship where people would be expected to be having problems or to have to reach out for help. But because it's all quote, supposed to be going so well and be so perfect, then if you complain about not getting along with your fiance during the wedding planning process, you know, people can be judgmental. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, they can. (laughs) You know, it's the same thing with like an illness or something, you know, you can't really wait, you can't let it go. Because if you let it go, you're going to have a harder, it's going to come out in other ways. And you're going to have a harder time getting well, if you just keep ignoring the symptoms. 
You know, I feel like it's the same way with emotions. I don't think there's anything wrong with seeing a couple's counselor even, you know, before you have any issues crop up, you know, just, just as like a maintenance, just to keep yourself, yourself and your relationship and everything kind of positive. I don't think there's anything yeah, wrong with that. Even just to see what the other person is really thinking, because I really wish that during the honeymoon stage, people would come in when they are all happy and they're not going to have huge explosive fights, but just to understand kind of what the other person is feeling. Sometimes it's so wildly different than what you picture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that a lot of that crops up during the wedding planning process, just because people haven't really talked about, you, you know, it, it's hard to talk about what does your family mean to you? You know, mm-hmm. who do you respect the most? Like, who do you want to be honored? Like, who do you feel is special? Like those sorts of things. You don't really talk on that kind of level, but then a wedding brings that out. So, you know, a man could have thought that it's going to be, you know, all about his, his mom because she's so into it and she's always been waiting for it. And the woman is like, what do you mean your mom? Like, I don't even like your mom. <laughs> so it could be, you know, people have very, very different ideas about family. And often those are first talked about at the wedding because before that, everything, you know, is kind of just a couple. It's the couple and their jobs and their friends. And yeah, they see family, but not all the time. Right. And, you know, I, I agree with you. And I think that later it comes up too, because once you start having kids, all this stuff is going to resurface. So if you don't work it out now, when you're talking about the wedding, you know, it's just going to come back again 20 fold when, it, when kids come into the mix, if you choose to have kids. Yeah. Well, that's usually the, the parts when people come back, what we call empathic ruptures or when you feel that somebody just didn't empathize in the moment and it's very hard for you to get over it. So empathic ruptures, they can happen at the wedding frequently. They happen on the honeymoon and they happen with the birth of the first child a lot. Like those are a lot of things, even if it's 20 years later that people talk about in counseling. Oh, I never heard that term. That's an empathic rupture. And it's very, very hard to come back from one of those because often the other person doesn't even know the extent of it. Right. So, you know, when women will say, this is a big one. Remember when you didn't stay with me overnight, like at the hospital after I gave birth? And the guy's like, what do you mean? You said you look tired. So I went home. <laughs> and, you know, the woman is thinking about this for 15 years later. Like oh. the child's like 15 and she's thinking every day, you bastard. You know, you didn't stay. <laughs> you didn't stay in the hospital. And we'll be sitting in couples counseling and sometimes the other partner is just shocked. I mean, sometimes they've heard it a million times, but sometimes they are just shocked. And it's something that they would have even apologized for if they would have understood. But, you know, people don't like to be perceived as somebody who's holding a grudge, so they don't say it. Mm -hmm. But then things come back. And a lot of those things can be the wedding. They could be putting family above me, putting friends above me. Remember when you got drunk at your bachelor party and you didn't pick up your phone for two days? Mm -hmm. I mean, people are talking about that like 20 years later. It's not a joke. Yeah, you're right. It sounds it's funny now the way we you know, we're talking about it, but it's really not a joke. And, And I don't care who you are. Everybody has those things. Everybody has those things. And I just feel like, you know, we're, we're all such, we're all so different, you know, all of our relationships are so different, but there's so many things. Like I remember when I was interviewing therapists, when I was doing the research for my own book, one of the things that one of them said to me still rings in my ear every day. She said that 
in most relationships, this is excluding, you know, abuse and heavy, heavy issues, but everyone has issues. And she was saying in most relationships, if you, you're, you know, you might get to a point where you feel like maybe this isn't right, you know, but she says, you don't, if you trade spouses, you really just trade issues because every relationship has like at least three major hot button issues that you, that you fight about and everyone's looks different, but they're there. Yeah. I mean, it's true. That's a good point. And the ones that frequently come up in couples counseling are in-laws and money. And yeah. those are the two things that are paramount in weddings. I mean, that's like what it is. It's a lot of money and it's a lot of in-law drama, yes. you know, and, and those are big hot button issues. And so many couples have them. And no matter, I mean, there's some people who have perfect weddings and, but I mean, there's a lot of people who, who don't and who wish that they had worked on things during it or somehow dealt with the drama while it was happening so that it didn't turn into something that they regret and remember forever. Yeah. So on that note, do you have a couple of things that you could share with brides-to-be, grooms-to-be, you know, just anybody who's getting married, you know, and what they can do um, to handle difficult people, whether they be in-laws or, you know, their own family? Well, I mean, the first thing always is empathy. I mean, if you could empathize and understand where somebody's coming from, it doesn't mean you have to do what they want. But if you could see it from their perspective, it's like over half the battle. I mean, no matter how awful, let's say I always do the mother-in-law joke, but no matter how awful your mother-in-law is, I mean, if you could figure out why she's acting like that, I mean, even going back so far as to say, boy, she must not have been raised you know, very lovingly, you know, or maybe she's very insecure or maybe this is her last baby who's getting married. Anything right. that you could do to try to get into the other person's perspective is usually very helpful. Yeah. Once you can do that, it, again, it doesn't mean that you have to do what your mother-in-law says, but you're coming at it from a different place and she's going to pick up on a change in your tone and it may go different. Yeah, I agree with you. There's so much power and just under just being empathetic, just trying to understand where that person's coming from. I agree. Or your spouse, obviously. I mean, you know, instead of saying, God, you know, what's wrong with my fiance that he doesn't know how to stand up for me? Really, what you could also say, my God, my fiance must feel terrible because everybody's pulling at him 20 different directions. He doesn't want to disappoint anybody, mm -hmm. you know, and so right now he's totally stressed out and acting awful. You yeah, know, like his worst self. So it's helpful between couples and it's helpful with any of the other difficult people that you may deal with, of which there are going to be many at a wedding. Right. So really, it just comes down to making people feel understood. Like, like you said, even if you don't agree with them, even if you don't want to necessarily make a change in your wedding plan over what somebody else wants you to do, just coming at it, trying to view it from their lens and making them feel understood. Right. And so from that comes the second thing, which is if you can compromise, if you could pick your battles, mm -hmm. you know, it's a lot like parenting. If, if like, let's say you really want to have six, like 60 people and that's it, but your mother-in-law pushes for 300 people. Well, maybe there's something else you can do. You know, maybe you can go down and visit with her and all of her friends before. Or maybe you could give her some sort of more of a special honor that would make her feel better at the wedding itself. I mean, you don't have to just stay 100% to what you were going to do. But even if you just go down to 95%, that extra 5% could be the difference between starting on a good note and not. 
And if, if it's in terms with you and your spouse, you know, spouse to be, so let's just say, you know, in-laws, everything's fine or, or, you know, you figured out a way to handle the, what's going on there. Um, things that you can do before you get married, before you walk down the aisle with you and your spouse, is there any kind of tips that you can give brides, grooms to be? Well, I mean, first of all, any sort of couples counseling or anything like that, obviously, as I said, my book, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever, whatever it may be that allows you to have more open conversations setting aside time to talk about real things, you know, real issues that are cropping up instead of shoving them under the rug and assuming that at the wedding day, the person will act the right way. No, they won't. You know, I mean, if you, it's like, it's prevention. Like if you know that, you know, let's say your fiance always hangs out with his friends and gets wasted and the bachelor party is a week before the wedding, you know, try to talk about that. Try to talk about how you're going to feel. Try to talk about what's going to happen if this happens, if that happens. It's the worst thing to put your head in the sand, you know, about certain things, financial issues. Like if he has a problem with what you're spending, when is that going to come back out? It's going to come back out. Yeah. You know, we may not be talking about it right now, but it's going to come back out. Mm -hmm. Various issues, they just don't go away. They don't just disappear. I think that that's the one thing that's really important for people to understand is when you get married, it's like, it's just the next day after you were dating, you know, it's not <laughs> like, a, it's, it's just that same relationship. Maybe there's like a little honeymoon period, a little jump, but the issues come right back. The marriage doesn't cure the issues. Yes. It really doesn't. It's like, it's like a volcano. It will go dormant, but it will come back. It will erupt. It will explode. It's going to happen. So I th- And I think that's the biggest thing too, is just having everybody understand that, that every, this happens for everybody. I don't care who you are. You know, we live in Facebook land and Instagram world and everything looks peachy. And we're, I feel like we're all guilty of it. Obviously, you know, you take the, the good pictures where everyone's like smiling and looking and happy, you know, you're, you're putting them out there for a reason. You know, they're, they're a good picture. Life is not like that all the time. But when you're scrolling through your feeds, you know, and all you see are smiling, happy faces. And it, you just think that everyone's like that. It's very easy to oh, assume yeah. that life is just all rosy lenses for everybody else. And oh my God, me and my problems. But everybody has problems. We're all, we're all equally weird and messed up and we have our issues to work with. Sure. And especially with the wedding, everybody looks at, I mean, those pictures are the most perfect anybody's ever going to look. So yeah. when a bride-to-be is looking at her friend's wedding pictures and she sees them looking you know, they're in shape, they were working out for like, you know, six months before, and they're, they look so happy. And then they have all their little in jokes, and they're looking, you know, at each other's eyes with love. Yeah, but they still have whatever they were fighting about when they were dating, probably. Yes. Hopefully not. But they 99% of the time they do. Just getting married cures nothing. You have to actively work on curing a problem. I couldn't agree with that more. And I think it's a great way to look at the wedding day also because, you know, sometimes people will say like, oh, that sounds so negative, you know, like taking things from that tone. You know, I have a bunch of chapters in my book too about just making sure you're marrying the right person, you know, and it's like, it's not about seeing negative. It's it's about understanding that everybody has issues and things. If you don't acknowledge it, that's when it erupts later because you're not getting rid of it. You know, you can't just pretend that you're blind and you don't see these issues and, oh, well, they'll just go away. They don't go away. And you, more than anybody, have seen how much they don't go away. Right. The issues that are there, if they're not dealt with, they will crop up every, every time. I mean, it, it, they don't just disappear. Sometimes people can very successfully work through issues, but if they're not discussed and they aren't put out on the table, then there's a really low chance that things are just going to dissipate into the ether. It just doesn't happen. Agreed. 
Well, I love your idea about the um, 52 emails to transform your marriage. I, I can't wait to see that book. Um, and I love the idea, you know, the, the premise of it, you know, getting things in writing. If we could just talk about one more thing before I let you go for brides to be, you know, let's say there's some, you know, somebody who's listening, who's getting married this weekend, they're feeling really stressed out. They're feeling super stressed. Maybe they're dealing with a lot of drama and now it's too late to change anything. You know, they're in it. Um, what can you, what kind of advice could you give a bride or groom who's already in that situation? The wedding's coming up. They just need to really get it together and, and enjoy the day. I think that you got to look at the the whole relationship from dating through engagement through marriage. It's all a long story. And the wedding is not going to be the most important day. I mean, when people say that was the happiest day of my life, that's good, you know, but there are a million other happy, happiest days of lives that people can end up having. So to put all that pressure on the wedding, I think is, is unfair for the bride and the groom. And if it doesn't in fact happen to be the happiest day. Oh, well, that just gives you the opportunity to have your happiest day later. Yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, well, how about the birth of your kids? I mean, that's got to be up there at some point. Or if you don't want to have kids, I mean, a house, jobs, just a moment that you're looking at each other and the person says something the right way. That could happen when you've been married for five, ten years. It doesn't make it any less meaningful. It doesn't have to be, the wedding doesn't have to be the be all and end all that it's really turned into. You know, it can just be the beginning of another chapter of your story and your story is going to continue on. I couldn't agree with that viewpoint any more than how you just said it. I think that's perfect. And I think that in, in a weird way, it lets the pressure off of the wedding in a way that you can enjoy it more. Because like, yeah. you, like you said, you know, the, the photography that you see of weddings and, you know, you could plan a wedding down to the millisecond. I mean, you can just coordinate it so that every single moment is planned, which in some ways, you know, yeah, you want to do that. You're spending a lot of money. You have a lot of different moving pieces, but you also need to leave room for some kind of um, magic. And that's just for the day itself. But I like what you're saying too, which is that Take the pressure off of that day. You know, yeah, you want it to be a wonderful, amazing day, but you have also the rest of your lives to have these ordinary moments feel wonderful and amazing and, you know, not have the pressure like you do for a wedding. Right. I think that the wedding sometimes is about family and friends, and that is good. And it it, it isn't the most romantic that you've ever felt. That is normal. Like it is like that is totally normal. People are so stressed out. It is a big, big party that people are throwing. And after that is when the marriage begins. Yes. That's where the work doesn't stop there. <laughs> that's yeah. when you're going to have a lot, a lot more material, a lot more to talk about, think about, you know, whether you have kids or not, I feel like, you know, life just gets crazy. Even, you know, yes. we have the kids, but even without the kids, you know, Greg and I have been married for almost eight years. And I feel like even regardless of the kids, there are so many other moving parts and things you have to work through and job changes, career changes, moving, you know everything. So if you, if you don't get that solid base and figure out how to communicate with each other effectively, it can get really tricky. Exactly. Well, thanks for coming on again. I will let you go. I know you are a busy woman, but I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy you were able to stop by your book out now is how to talk to your kids about divorce. Um, and I'm super looking forward to your next book, 52 emails to transform your marriage. You can follow Dr. Rodman at Dr. Psych Mom on Twitter, and I'll have her Facebook link and all of her other links in this post. So thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much. It was great to be on. Thanks. And we'll talk to you again soon. I would love to have you back for sure. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. Take care. All righty. Take care. Bye-bye.